Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bitches, Witches, and Queers, a podcast dedicated to those who have left religion behind and are now seeking to rebuild their lives through self-exploration, play, and spirituality. I, your host, Christina Carlson, am an embodiment and intuition coach. I work with bitches, witches, and queers to discover their own worth and value and learn how to trust themselves to create the lives they want. I am an experimenter by nature, so this podcast, like my life, is an offering in flux. What you find here will be diverse and, hopefully, interesting. One thing you can know for sure is that we will get good and curious here. Welcome. Hello and welcome to Bitches, Witches, and Queers. I am recording on a new microphone today to test out sound, so um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I uh, was thinking about something this morning, and I have been thinking about something for a little while that I wanted to talk about, and that is the nuance around principles. (laughs) And values and I'm thinking about this because like I have a bit of a unique perspective and I know a lot of you are in this category as well I am someone who's queer and spent the majority of my life in a state of repression and believing that who I am at my core was dangerous not safe um, unhealthy somehow wrong Believing that who I am is somehow wrong or dysfunctional or not okay. So this, like, that one belief spirals into about a million other things, right? Because if I'm not okay in who I am, then I have to be guarded about, like, my vulnerability. I need to choose what I'm vulnerable about. I I can sense overall that in general my environment isn't safe and... I'm using my senses quite often to check if my environment is safe. Yeah, so I grew up with that with like this this space of like I'm someone who's repressed. I'm not okay. This isn't right. I'm unsafe. And so like coming out of that and like actually like truly coming out as queer, there's this like there's this powerful thing that happens where it's like, oh my god, I can reclaim myself. And, excuse me, this like power of doing that is loud. And it's making up for so much time where we were told it's not okay. And and there's some of it that's like a little loud and obnoxious. And people call it obnoxious because they're uncomfortable with it or whatever but like it needs to be loud because it was so damaging to be repressed so there's like there's a loudness to it right and there's like this it's called pride for a reason like we're moving through or I can only speak for myself but I'm moving through this space like at the beginning of coming out that's like I can be proud of myself And it looks different because it is different. People who grow up straight have a different kind of affirmation around them continually that says who you are, at least on this level, is okay. 
like how you are operating, what you are desiring is normal, is okay, is functional. And like, there's nuance to that. Obviously, if you were socialized as a girl in purity culture, then you've got some shit around your own sexuality too that (laughs) I won't get into right now. But if you grew up affirmed in your sexuality, like those socialized as men who were straight, there's this affirmation around you that's like, who you are is okay. What you love is okay. How you are is okay. So there's like, there's this confidence because you were given, your, your identity was reflected in everything around you as good. Where for me growing up queer, the reflections that I got about what was happening inside of me was that it was bad. So what was reflected back to me was that I wasn't okay and that I was sinful and that I was dangerous and that I was bad. So much so that I didn't even allow myself to go there 99.9% of the time because it wasn't safe to do so. So that being said, when we come out, it needs to be loud (laughs) because of the culture, because of the teachers, the leaders, the parents, the (laughs) rulers. And by that, I mean, uh, the people with power in politics who have told our society and told all of us, mostly in religion, that it is not okay to be queer. So reclaiming that requires a certain loudness, a certain celebration so that we can see the goodness of ourselves mirrored in those around us. That is one side of me. But the other part of me grew up on the side of the oppressor. I grew up as white and fit into the feminine role or, you know, appeared to. And we were taught something else, okay? We were taught this other thing. We were taught that those who hold power politically were out to get us and they were not religious. We were told that we were in the Lord's army because we were an oppressed group of religious people. We we would hear stories. They would tell us stories about how those who were Christians were being martyred around the world and were being told that our way of life, the Christian way of life, was in danger. They talked about the world like some sort of downtown club scene or Pulp Fiction mixed with Sin City. (laughs) With this depravity is the word that was used a lot when referred to people who are queer or anyone who drank. Honestly, any kind of freedom or liberation in movement, like dancing, if we want to get really down deep into it, anything that was even remotely related to black culture fell into this category. Underneath it, there's this whiteness that was held at the center and glorified. I grew up in white evangelicalism, 
white evangelicalism, and you can't separate that from nationalism, and you can't separate that from white supremacy. This Christian radicalization is something that I grew up with, and, and this, this space of, of being in a group that is the oppressor, okay? We, we talk about, like, the Crusades. Radicalized Christians went around killing other pe- people of other religions and dominating and conquering cultures of other religions using genocide and all kinds of other tactics to obliterate other cultures in the name of religion. And then the same group of people, religious radicals, Christian radicals, came over and said, we are oppressed. Our values are not honored. And that comes in direct conflict with, again, the other part of myself that is coming out of this culture. I'm, I'm coming out and celebrating myself. And my family is seeing this as the demise of our culture. As the downfall of a Christian society. As the corruption of our values. Because they believe that they are being persecuted. Because that's what they were taught. And it's such a fucking fascinating nuance to be in the middle of. Because I grew up on the side that understands the oppressor, because I was in that category. And also, I was in that position as someone who was repressed and being wounded by it. But one of the most interesting parts about this is like, from this religious standpoint, you have this category of like, you view other people as like, lost or evil and like you know there's some theological nuance there that like some theologians would argue and have debates over but like ultimately that's like the perspective is like you're either like someone who's lost or you're like someone who is actively leading people astray and that that means you're doing the work of evil you're doing the work of the devil right so Put these two things together and you have the group of people who's like, we are repressed, we are oppressed as Christian people and our values are being threatened and all these other lost people are being led astray. And then someone who comes along and has found themselves, found love, they're falling in love and they want to declare that love to the world. And the radical Christian response is that you're imposing your evil on me. Because the oppressor wants silence, wants quiet. It's like you're allowed to be, quote-unquote, like, sinful if you're not proud of it. If you're full of shame, then there's some level of acceptability around it. But the most dangerous person to Christian radicalism is someone who's left it. Someone who's gone the route of like really thinking about this process and really 
actively choosing to leave. And they see that as a threat because it is. And they see that as oppression, not because it is, but because they don't know any other way to call it, because it's terrifying. But they call those of us in that category as like people who are doing the work of the devil. People who never, you know, who grow up in different ways, who didn't grow up in Christianity, who didn't grow up in this way, they just call them lost, right? And they would call us lost too. But, but it's almost like there's a special place in hell for those of us who have decided to leave. And I think that's important to note because there's this internalized oppression around like, I, I shouldn't be, like, overly, over-the-top queer or whatever, like, too much. Or, like, because that's, because that's what we were taught was, was not okay, right? But there's also this internal conflict because we understand, we understand the mind of the oppressor. And it's really fucking hard to get that out of your head and stay in your own perspective. To stay in your own perspective of like what you experienced and what is actually okay and true. You see, we were raised to be empathetic. We were raised to like care, right? About how other people see things and how people experience things and how they feel things, right? So... There's another thing that happens, like, when you come out to your parents or you, like, you want to tell them that you've, like, you know, changed your religion or you're, like, going a different way with your faith or, like, your faith has shifted to include queer people or whatever it is. We we tend to, and, like, I keep saying we because of the people that I've talked to, but, like, I can only, I can really only speak from my experience. I just, I know this from talking to so many people in these situations is that it's just so easy to to be like oh but like you know I was there so I understand what it's like to to like have a friend come out and like not know how to like justify that and not know how to like um make like reconcile that with like my Christian faith or whatever and so they like it's easy to make excuses then for how people are responding to you when they're responding to you in an abusive way. It is easy to justify abuse when you are trying to understand your abuser. And that's some heavy shit. Because we we love people, right? And we don't... We often have ideas of what love is from how we were raised, right? That's just how we develop our love patterns, our attachment styles, our codependent tendencies and specifically in codependence we develop these ways of being as a way of surviving and they're not bad they're not wrong they're our way of coping but if you were in a situation where you had a codependent relationship with your parents which if you were raised in radicalized christianity i'm gonna say that that's a codependent relationship because it's a codependent relationship with religion so probably going to be codependent relationships with your um, authority figures in that space as well. 
but like this this scenario specifically when you like you know in your body because your body's gotten louder your own opinions have gotten louder you've given yourself space to like be and move in a way that feels good to you and then you're like it comes time to share this with your parents or whoever and someone from this past and instead of allowing that person to meet us we often make excuse, excuses for their abuse instead of being with the pain of the way that they responded to us so I'm not saying I have the answer because I don't because I'm human and this is my life and I know a lot of you are living in this space as well but I do have tools and I do have an understanding about how humanity works. At least, you know, <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> We're longing for something. We're longing for clean connection. And it kind of like pulls us to, to make a declaration, to share who we are now with this other person, with this parent figure or whoever it is. And... In doing so, we are trying to allow ourselves to be met. Not just seen, but to be met. And because of the fear, someone else, or because of whatever, someone else doesn't have the capacity to meet us. And that is really tough to be with. You know what I think? I think our minds go into that empathetic mode, go into that trying to understand the other person mode because it's so fucking difficult to be with the discomfort of seeing another person reject us. We want to make it make sense logically so we can remove ourselves from the bodily experience of right now this person cannot see me. And when that's a parent and someone you love or someone you look up to, it fucking hurts. It is. It has been the work of the past two years for me. My spiritual practice is to learn how to be with what is. And this includes being with the reality of who someone is showing you they are and leaving out the assumptions, leaving out the parts that we would want to make up. It's about being with reality. And how do you be with reality other than believing what people tell you and seeing what people show you and trusting what's happening in your body in response. Because we can't just be with one part. We have to be with all of it. And that means feeling. That means feeling the rejection of a parent or family member or friend 
who can't see us. Whew. <laughs> uh, I realize that's extremely heavy, but that's, I want to move us into a, a, a little bit of a beautiful space beyond this because because living in reality is actually the the gateway to so much beauty it just it happens like beyond this this like deciding to live with what's right in front of us deciding to see what's right in front of us like that that step is like the gate to moving beyond into beauty and like I say that because like it's painful to like look and see that we've been rejected by someone or we can't be seen by someone or we can't be met or someone can't meet our needs whatever it is these like honest conversations and actually like naming what we need and what we want and giving people the chance to say yes and no those those kinds of things like this is who I am and and seeing how people show up for you. That, that is a real telling thing to do. It's brave. That's why it's brave. It's not brave because you don't care what people think about you. Everyone fucking does. It's brave because it matters. <laughs> because it causes feelings. <laughs> and moving beyond that, it's, it is then the gateway to finding what we love to being loved to being met to being seen and to having relationships where people can hold you to having your needs met it's the gateway to to goodness in relationship reality is the gateway to goodness in relationship vulnerability is the gateway to goodness in relationship and there's lots of ways to learn to be with these feelings on like <laughs> honestly for me I, I sort of feel like I, I kind of act like a dog when um I have like that energy in me that I don't like know what to do with uh recently I had a conversation with my parents and my siblings and and afterwards I like I like you know took a moment I was like hard to hard to breathe and I was like noticing like during the conversation that like my my chest was getting tight and I could like feel this like buzzing energy in me. And like after the conversation was over, I like allowed myself to cry for a minute and then like, and then I just needed to like bounce around and shake. And so we like put on some music and we're like dancing and stuff, but like, it just got kind of funny. Like we, we think of ourselves as like, I need some sophisticated tools to like, <laughs> to be with this. And like, you know, maybe you do I'm not, not saying you don't, but like, so much of these feelings like we just have to like allow ourselves to move like animals <laughs> and obviously like you know the rule is do no harm <laughs> so don't hurt anyone that you love and or anyone and uh like don't hurt living things and but also like to allow yourself to move like the to shake to like Ah, to growl, like to just like allow the energy of that to move in that process because it needs to. That's why it's there. 
It needs to move through you and out of you. It wants to. That's why it feels so potent. And, you know, we're having adult conversations and we're trying to, like, actually communicate things. So allow yourself space and breaks and time to do so. Being with yourself in that process. Validating that physical and emotional experience that you have. Instead of jumping in to defend the other person for their response can allow you to be with the reality of what is happening in new ways and allow space then for relationships that you can be met in in ways that you can be loved and held and celebrated for who you are here's to living in reality in 2023 i feel like i continue to grow and learn in this and it's, it's so much easier to create a fantasy in our minds. And like, I'm not saying fantasy is a full-on problem. Obviously, we have incredible imaginations for a reason. Um, living in reality is a process. But I guess just for today, I'm curious. Is there a space in your life where you are intentionally avoiding reality? And can you be just like a tiny percent more honest about it with yourself just by maybe naming that you're not living in reality yet and if you're like what the fuck are you talking about then that's fine too (laughs) dm me ask me questions or just you know okay love you all talk to you soon Thank you all for joining me today. If you are wanting one-on-one support to help you step into trusting yourself, seeing your own magic, and building the life that you want, you can contact me on my website. The website is below in the show notes. I hope you all have a bitchin' day.